0: I'm your host Darren today we're going to be talking about The Love We Make from Emancipation, uh, recorded July to September 1996 at Paisley Park and the reason we know the recording dates for this is due to the subject of the song. Released on the 19th of November 1996 on the track you have Prince and you have Kathy Dyson. Um, and the song is four minutes thirty-eight. Joining me to talk about today is Spencer Seams. Hello. In terms of like a genre, I think it's quite. I think it's mm-hmm. quite interesting because it has like, uh, kind of the makings of like a power ballad.
1: Yeah, it almost feels kind of like like light rock, almost a little bit, <laughs> not soft <laughs> yeah. rock, but like just light rock. And then there's, and it's also kind of uh, R and B ish, a little bit too. Like it's it's a weird mix of yeah. I a bunch of things.
0: Well, I think it, I think it's very kind of like guitar led, um. You know, you have like that kind of. Uh, it sounds like Prince is playing like two notes, you know, an octave apart. That kind of, kind of, that it's kind of like chiming throughout mm-hmm. the song, um. And it kind of, you know, the song kind of builds up, um, using that as the basis. And you're right, there is a, there is actually a point where like the music drops out, and you kind of get like, you know, a drum hit, and then Prince kind of comes back in, and it's kind of very dramatic. Um, and yeah, like it, it does feel like a kind of mix of a couple of genres. Um, and you know, interestingly, you know, like I say, the, like the reason why we know when Prince started writing this song is because, you know, in, in the lyrics, he says at one point, you know, in, I guess, I guess you could call it the chorus, although it doesn't really feel like the song has a kind of a proper chorus until the very end. And it's just a repetition of the title. Um, but he says, put down the needle, put down the spoon. Um, that's like a refrain that that it's the only line that's repeated until we get to the the kind of the outro part Um, and that's a direct reference to um, you know the overdose of uh, Jonathan Malvwin um, who was the son of Mike Malvwin who he was a pianist in the Wrecking Crew Mm -hmm. um, and who had um, played on Pet Sounds and you know obviously his sister Wendy was a guitarist with the Revolution and his other sister, Susanna, had, you know, dated Prince for a while and was also a member of the family, um, you know. And Jonathan himself, you know, he was, a, you know he, was a, he was a keyboard player for the Smashing Pumpkins on tour at the time when Prince recorded this song. Um, and he died of, um, you know, an overdose. Uh, he'd begun apparently taking drugs along with um, Jimmy Tate, mm-hmm. Chamberlain. Um, you know, who was the, the, the drummer for uh, the Smashing Pumpkins? And Jimmy Chamberlain, apparently, his father had died while the, the Pumpkins were on tour, kind of early '96. Um, and, you know, he'd started using hard drugs to kind of deal with his grief. And Melvin had kind of um, got swept up in, in kind of that. And, you know, there have been a couple of times while they'd been on tour when, you know, uh, they'd had various overdoses. Um, you know, Billy Corgan had spoken about, uh, you know, an incident, uh, in Lisbon where they, they'd administered, um, adrenaline shots, like oh. in Pulp Fiction. Um, you know, so, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, now Jimmy Chamberlain, you know, he, he, he had an overdose and he kind of, you know, um, kind of survived through it. Um, although, you know, at a later point he, you know, he was forced out of the band as was everybody with the Smashing Pumpkins. I mm-hmm. think. You know Billy Corgan's capriciousness kind of ended up resulting in you know the, the Smashing Pumpkins basically just being, um, you know Billy Corgan. Um, and, you know obviously the other members have kind of left and returned at various times. Um, now Malvoin had been kind of touring with them, you know as the as the keyboard player. He wasn't you know officially you know a member of the band, but he'd he'd known them for quite a few years. Um, and you know he'd Chamberlain had had a, a few kind of overdoses while they're on mm-hmm. tour. Um, but, you know, Melvyn hadn't. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, obviously they, they both started taking, um, you know, in particular heroin. And, you know, they were in, I think it was in, they were in New York. And, you know, Jonathan Melvin had like a, you know, this overdose that obviously turned out to be fatal. Now, you know, yeah, happily for Jimmy Chamberlain, he, he got himself clean. And eventually he returned to, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins um, and then, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins broke up and then, you know, he's, you know, he's stayed clean mostly since then. Um, and, and he, and every time the pumpkins kind of get back together, he kind of rejoins them. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, it, this was a significant incident because, you know, particularly for a lot mm-hmm. of Smashing Pumpkins fans, this is the point at which the, the group kind of started to break apart. Um, you know, not, not least kind of fueled by this incident, and obviously, you know, it it must have affected Prince, you know, quite a lot. Um, obviously, at, at this point, he wasn't really speaking to Wendy or Susanna, um, but you know, as as is his way, he expressed his thoughts through song. Um, and you know, this 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 song is kind of about, um, you know, kind of Jonathan Melvin um, Melvin was only you know thirty four, which you know is is I mean, it's it's weird because obviously. You know, once you get older than a number of these kind of musicians who've died at young ages, you start to realize how young thirty-four is. Um, you know, just as with you know other artists, you realize how young twenty-seven is for someone to, you know, to to die. Um, and and obviously, you know, like I mean, this is you know twenty-two years ago, so you know he would have if he'd have survived, he would now be like fifty-six. You know, which obviously means that Billy Corgan is also around that age, which is kind of odd and Billy
1: has looked the same since I don't know. Mid-90s? Well, I, yeah. I think Shamer's head helps yeah. looking young.
0: Uh, yeah, I think, it. yeah, I mean, his, his floppy fringe wasn't really helping him that much. But yeah, so, you know, obviously at this point, you know, Prince, you know, he he expressed his sadness through this song, um, you know. And I feel that's something that kind of really, like, a lot of this album obviously was purposely kind of constructed over the kind of the few years leading up to the end of Prince's contract with Warner Brothers. Um, you know, a lot of it is about the celebration of the end of that contract and, you know, Prince's freedom. You know, he ma- he managed to get EMI to give him, you know, a three hour album to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. play with. So it's, it's interesting that kind of at a late stage, you know, this is one of, I think, the second to last song recorded for this album, um, aside from... I think it was something on the second disc, which, which I think The Holy River was probably the last song recorded for the album. But this is like the second to last song recorded. And Prince was working on it all the way up until, you know, one month before release, um, you know. And I, I think, we, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those songs that kind of Prince manages to kind of like, um, you know, he starts off quiet just with the, you know, desperate is the day that is tomorrow. For those who do not know, the time has come to whip the dogs that beg, steal or borrow. From the table, God has set for His son. Obviously, at this point, Prince is starting to get very religious, so he can't—he uh, can't record a song without, you know, a, a brief mention of God. I think that opening is quite interesting because, you know, this song starts from a point of view of—I um, don't want to say desperation because that makes it sound worse <laughs> than it
1: is. I mean, the first word is desperate.
0: <laughs> it is desperate, yeah, but it's—it kind of starts with a very somber tone, you know, befitting a song that is, you know, a tribute to someone who has recently passed. And then it kind of, as the song goes on, you know, we kind of get more and more instrumentation, you know, the guitar kind of becomes more prominent, you know, the drums become more prominent and we kind of build Mm. up to, you know, what is the the titles of the song. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, I I just kind of, I like, I like the tone of the song because um, even if you don't know the backstory, even if you don't realize what the song is about you get the idea that this is a song that is, you know, certainly more serious than some of the other songs that have been on this album. Um, you know, there have been a couple of kind of silly throwaway uh-huh. songs, you know, there've been a, hand, a handful of kind of like jam songs where it's just kind of about Prince and the band, like enjoying themselves. Yeah. And, you know, when you start listening to this, you really get the the, the kind of the idea that this is a serious song and Prince you know, clearly it's a subject that Prince, you know, is very close to. And I'm not quite sure what Prince means by um, whip mm-hmm. the dogs that beg, steal, and borrow.
1: Yeah, some of this was, uh, it felt like a whole lot of, like, biblical references to things that you, you have to, not, not be a scholar, but, like, you have to really be into, like, reading the Bible heavily to get, because some of it just feels like, I don't know, just like the, like the whole, like, like, it feels kind of like a Christian song. But not in like, I don't mean, in a condescending way, but like it, it feels, I don't know, it's, a, it's just a strange, extra, it's like a strange tribute in certain ways.
0: I mean, here's the thing I could I could hear um, someone in a megachurch being like, you know, this is a really interesting song by Prince. It says the word God four lines in, so let's cover this song.
1: <laughs> yeah, <like> and <laughs> you know? it talks about the, like having, like, uh, there's someone mentioning like a, a savior and stuff, so it's like, yeah, this definitely feels.
0: I mean, it's not quite Christian rock. But it is certainly rock, and it does have a Christian edge to it. Yeah. Um, So I could kind of understand that being the thing. And I mean, you know, the kind of the language he's using where he says, you know, wicked is the witch that stands for nothing, Um, (laughs) all while watching to see Mm -hmm. you fall, deeper than the ditch that bred your suffering, the one being dug right now by them all. Now, that feels like a more direct reference, but apart from the whole wicked is the witch thing, um, it feels like that's more of a direct re- reference to what has happened to Jonathan you know in that uh-huh. you know obviously the ditch maybe is you know the ad- the addiction that he's he you know suffered from and then off you know the 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 one being dug right now you know the ditch being dug is essentially his grave um, uh-huh. that's now being you know dug for him um, I'm not quite sure <laughs> who this witch is that is watching to see you fall. Um, I mean, again, I mean that sounds maybe like it's a, a roundabout way of, of saying that the devil tempted, you know, uh, Jonathan Melvin with, you know, hard drugs.
1: Yeah. Um, you mentioned you know, Prince was getting religious around this time. I mean,
0: not as religious as he would be five years later when he converted fully to being a Jehovah's Witness.
1: So this was a couple years off of a big hip hop movement happening in Minneapolis. And then there's a lot of like underground R&B and hip hop based in Minneapolis and, like, St. Paul.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, here's the weird thing. I don't know that Prince uh, would have ever known about anybody else, you know, within Minneapolis, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, he spent most of his time at Paisley Park, which was um, in Shanhassen, which is, you know, just outside of the Twin Cities. And, you know, not. I mean, he was known for being around town, but he was not one to kind of spend his time kind of in clubs, seeing, like, the music scene of... Um, yeah. You know, of uh, of kind of
1: Minneapolis you know, um, atmosphere and other rappers from the era. Well, the atmosphere still around. The
0: thing is, uh, you know, obviously Prince. Uh, certainly, I'm guessing he would have been religious in the sense that his family would have attended church. I think that's about as religious hmm. as his family was. Um, but obviously, as Prince became more famous, you know he, he wrote a song that was on sign of The Times, you know like nine years before this called mm. the cross. you know is it, very you know a very religious song. Um, mm. So it's not like it's not like he'd not been religious before this point. It's just that uh, you know obviously free of his Warner Brothers contract, he he kind of could do whatever he wanted. Um, and so you know that, that that meant if at the last minute he wanted to stick a tribute to Jonathan Melvin on an album, then he could. You're right, he does kind of bring it up where he says, um, you know, Precious is the baby with a mother that tells him that his saviour is coming. Um, all that believe will cleanse and purify themselves, put down the needle, put down the spoon. And, you know, that is obviously, that is the key message, um, you know, that kind of, that's the thing that gives away that this is about Jonathan Melvin. Uh, to the point where he repeats the line, put down the needle, put down the spoon. And that's where you have Cat uh, Dyson also singing. Mm-hmm. Um and then we do get kind of super religious after Prince drops everything out and then brings it back in with the drums and says, "Sacred is the prayer that asks for nothing while seeking to give thanks for every breath we take. Blessed are we inside this prayer, for in the new world uh, we will be there.
1: Yeah, and it, then you know, it, just, it just sounds like Bible verses a little bit too.
0: Well, I mean, I think Prince kind of had a way of, of kind of writing lyrics that did kind of sound kind of very kind of preachy. Mm-hmm. Um when it came to his religious songs this is kind of something that he would do quite a lot of that particularly like the, the stuff like sacred is the prayer you know like that that kind of that, well I mean the structure on this is you know um desperate is the day wicked is the witch happy is the way precious is the baby sacred is the prayer like that structure is the is is at the start of all of these verses. Mm. Um and I think that's probably what kind of gives it the the kind of um the kind of uh, the more religious feel. The kind mm-hmm. of uh the, the verse the bible verse feel
1: but um i do was it like there's no course but like in between the verses i think with in between the verses there'd be there's like kind of random in- instruments kind of popping in like uh there like there'd be a couple seconds of saxophone a couple seconds of like of uh, like some other synth like uh a little synth riff or like and they're, like, oh, sound like some like woodwind instrument like uh woodwind like a uh clarinet or something it's like these little like random instruments just kind of doing like a little riff like a couple second riff of like in between the uh verses like it's this an interesting like it feels like he he had too many too many ideas and just wanted to include all the instruments in between those sections
0: it's i mean it's funny because because he has no chorus in between each of the verses he does seem to kind of do little kind of instrumental flourishes in between each each verse before he kind of returns to the next verse Um, And like I said, there is the point where after, you know, you know, put down the needle, put down the spoon, he kind of drops everything out and then kind of brings it back in dramatically before they kind of build up to the the final, um, you know, the final kind of the final verse, which is essentially the chorus, uh, which is where Prince sings. The only love there is, is the love we make. Uh, And then he repeats that. And then he keeps saying, the only love there is, is the love we make. And then he starts kind of singing it in slightly different ways and kind of going up in his register. Um, and then, kind of, the song kind of slows down, and they finish with the only love there is is the love we make. In terms of like an idea, I think you know it's a fairly kind of generic one, but at least you know it's it's not as preachy as the rest of the song. But at least it's kind of, I guess, if if you're you know if you're Wendy and Susanna or you know anyone else in the Melvoin family, and you're listening to this song, and you know by the time you get to the end, I could I could understand maybe thinking you know that that you know obviously Prince is saying that. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, what the person is like or, you know, Mm. what they've done. The only love that there is is the love that we make. And I think, you know, I think that's an idea that they could probably get behind. Obviously, given the fact that Prince, you know, hadn't spoken to most of them for about a decade. Um, I mean, I I, I don't know. I don't know how much they appreciated the song. um, But I feel like it's just one of those things where if you're Prince, rather than, you know, um, send flowers or, you know, make a condolence phone call you know, you go into the studio and you record yourself like a five minute tribute song. And that just kind of feels like his natural kind of way to deal with this. Uh, at the same time, you know, if you don't know what it's about, then it, you know, it doesn't really matter. Cause I feel like the song still works. Um, but once you know, it is about Jonathan Malfoy, then, you know, it does feel like a, a kind of touching tribute. You know prince is obviously choosing to honor a musician by creating some music you know obviously Wendy and Susanna were kind of so key to Prince's success in the early 80s there is another song on the album that's actually dedicated to Wendy and Lisa and and, and Susanna as well and kind of is an apology for the way he treated them it, it feels like although Prince has burnt his bridges at Warner Brothers <laughs> when it <laughs> comes to other people he is at least trying to kind of build bridges a little bit and the thing is I you know I always whenever I listen to this song it always feels I mean, now, you know, listening to it after Prince's death um, and, you know, knowing that he also died from, you know, uh, an opioid overdose, it kind of gives the song, like, a second meaning. Um, You know, it feels like you you would want to actually have Prince listen to this and be like, you know, just listen to the message of your own song. (laughs) Put down the needle, put down the spoon. You know, Prince was obviously not using heroin, but at the same time, you know... Um, you know, the drugs that were in his system when he died, they were kind of they were of at least as potent as heroin. Right. Um, and so it kind of gives the song, uh, you know, an extra layer of sadness that, you know, 20 something years after recording this tribute, you know, you're in the position where I mean, almost I don't think it's almost exactly. But I mean, you know, Jonathan Melvoin died like July 1996 and Prince died April 2016. So it's on, you know, it's kind of like 20 years shy of a couple of months between those two deaths.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a little eerie.
0: Yeah, so, you know, it's it's kind of, it, you, like, listening to the song, um, which I'll say for me is easily a four out of five. Like, listening to the song and knowing it's about Jonathan Malvwin has a certain layer of sadness, but then listening to it and knowing how Prince died, that kind of gives it just another it just kind of takes the song into a completely different direction and it's one of those songs that i like i enjoy and i you know everything Mm. about it the musicianship is 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 excellent you know like the way prince builds the song up um you know i like the kind of the interesting structure that he has of the verses you know the way that he has the 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 kind of the different the different rhymes Mm. um you know and but then you know you just think well It feels like Prince, you know, didn't take his own advice, um, you know. Um, So it kind of gives the song kind of a a bit of a a kind of a, a... It's like it's hard for me to listen to this song too regularly because... It just ends up making me think about Prince's death, and that's something that I don't really want to think too much about these days. Um, you know, yeah. I'm more I'm more concentrating on celebrating his life and what he did while he was alive than thinking about his death.
1: You have about a year left in the podcast worth of music. Yes, yeah,
0: it's gonna be. I'm 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 gonna be timing it so it finishes roughly around Prince's you know birthday next year. So yeah, huh. it's about a year to go.
1: Just, it took a little bit for a song to grow on me because he first sent the sent the file or. or uh file of notes and stuff a few months ago. We recorded a whole uh, some other ones and this I kinda didn't like it at first, but I would gradually listen to it every so often and it just kinda slowly turned into other ones I've been on. Probably my favorite one, even though I won't rank it like I wouldn't give it the highest score because it's kind of it's not something I want to listen to all the time. It's not it's not like, uh, what was the one with, like, the, the bit in the middle about, like, uh, uh, cows off her calves about the cereal? <laughs> oh, uh, joint to joint. Yeah, it's not, it's not as, like, as delightful and bizarre as that is, like, uh, this is just very, like, like what you said, the music- musicianship is, you know, on, is this, is on par. Like, everything is top notch. It's just, it's not, uh, fun to listen to. It's just kind of, uh, upsetting a little bit which shows, like, it really is, shows, like, just how brilliant Prince was as a musician and writer, and I'd go, like, four four out of five. It's just I don't, it doesn't get that perfect five because I just don't want to listen to it. Uh, All that often.
0: Yeah, I mean, I completely understand that. It's like one of those songs where you know it's enjoyable and you can appreciate everything about it, but it's just not a song that you could listen to like every day because it just it would just end up being too upsetting. But uh, yeah, and and interestingly, Prince, you know, he he didn't perform this song initially when it was you know the kind of the the album came out. Uh, It wasn't until like 2004 that he started performing it on tour, and then Mm. from 2009 through to 2016. You know, it was a it was a regular fixture on uh, on all those tours that he did he did in between those. So obviously, um, you know, a song that maybe found kind of meaning for him later in life. Um, you know, and the last performance that he gave of it was uh, you know was on the 28th of February 2016. So uh, you know about I don't know, like what's that? About seven weeks before his death, the piano and uh, microphone tour. Um, and he, he played it third from last um, before Diamonds and Pearls and the Beautiful Ones um, and then he came back and, uh, and uh, obviously did an encore with Kiss and Sometimes It Snows in April and then mm-hmm. a further encore with Purple Rain <laughs> so um, two encores from Prince but yeah so, uh, yeah, so I, I, I mean I think, it, I think it's interesting that Prince kind of put it that late in the set list and I think it makes a good pairing with Diamonds and Pearls as well like that's a, that's another kind of like power ballad um, so I, I, you know, Prince sitting behind a piano playing this, and uh, and then kind of going into diamonds and pearls. I feel like, you know, that's a good combination of, uh, you know, of songs. Um, but yeah, you know, it, like it, it's such a kind of like the the subject of it feels so kind of personal that I, I'm I'm guessing that Prince didn't play it, you know, from '96 through to 2004 because it probably felt a little too kind of raw. Um, but, you know, it's obviously such a good song that he couldn't just kind of leave it in the studio and kind of had to perform it live. You know, I feel like we said about as much as we can about the love we make. Um, so let's go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug?
1: Um, yes, I have a podcast called High and Low, a Curse podcast. It's where me and Joel from Please Don't Send Me an Hour Space was uh, on, on this show early on. For some reason, even though he doesn't like music, so I don't know why he would choose to be on here. But, um, yeah, we talk about Kurosawa movies and other Japanese movies, and we've had Gina Radcliffe on. If you like to hear us catch conversations about old Japanese movies, you know, give us a listen. We're on Twitter and Facebook, but Twitter's the better, uh, Place to find us, on iTunes, all that usual stuff.
0: And you can find us on Facebook at Prince Track by Track, or on Twitter at Prince Podcast, or you can email us, not sure where you would, at Prince by Track at gmail.com. Thanks once more for being my guest here, Spencer. You're welcome. And otherwise, goodbye. That's a day show. Hey! Don't think I ain't.